Welcome to The End of the World, or more adequately put, a podcast covering all forms of pop cultural apocalypses. So whether it be the sudden falling of planes from the sky, your kids bring another variation of the common cold home for the 17th week in a row, or a group of mysterious strangers suddenly knocking at your door asking for a human sacrifice to prevent an everlasting darkness from descending upon humanity, we have you covered. And as usual, on this journey, you have as your guides, myself, Trevor William Horn, and the one and only Kenny Bray. Kenny, how are you doing today? I'm I'm here today. You're here today? Okay. <laughs> Should I move on? Then? Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Let's <laughs> let's just keep this train a moving. You're here. Okay. I'll take that as uh, yeah. Okay. Now, Kenny, before we get into the movie Knock at the Cabin, which I will explain in a minute for our listeners. I have an important question for you. Another ethical conundrum of sorts. I would keep you alive. Well, yeah. I mean, again, I'm I'm the Wilson <laughs> of this relationship. So I find safety and solace in that. Though I have figured out that I've added not just storytelling, but also coffee making to my abilities in the end of the world. Which I don't have. So I need you more than yep. ever because all, <laughs> I cannot. I can use a coffee pot. That's all. So I need you to survive. We will have... Good coffee. I will make little flowers and little hearts in the foam. I will. It, it will be incredible. Your artistic designs will keep us going. There it is. <laughs> now, here's my question for you, unrelated to coffee. Would you rather be killed immediately at the beginning of the apocalypse or have to live through the apocalypse? What's on the other side? Post-apocalyptic. I want to live through. No, not, not, uh, let's say, think like Book of Eli. This is not the restoration of humanity. We're talking Mad Max type stuff. We're talking. Oh, I want to live through. I want to live through it. I want to see what's on the other side of that. I want to, I want to experience that. It sounds oh, I bad. Thought, I thought when you said post-apocalyptic, you were meaning like you, you would want to live through it if civilization was put back together. You're saying the opposite. Oh yeah. I want to, I want to become the king of it. Like, uh, like give me, I'm going to, I'm going to take Nevada and Utah and be like the, the take the water supply, take the, be the baron of, of that <laughs> land. You know, Idaho is mine now. Like, <laughs> I think some people probably say that now too, but okay. yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> the land of the free, you know what? Moved to Idaho. Okay. So you would. Okay, you would rather live through the apocalypse, and more specifically, you would rather live through a dystopian, survivalist context. Yeah, okay. I think I think it'd be interesting. It'd be something to something to write home about for sure. Um, you know, the home that's no longer there. But uh, <laughs> and I, you, I'm just saying, the survivalist thing starting to fit, Kenny. The the puzzle pieces are starting to come together here. Well, there's so much. There's so much to see and do. I mean. <laughs> There's so much to Life see. It. Finds what are you going to go to Disneyland? Like, what are you going to Yeah, <laughs> go to Disneyland and like make the rides work and ride them by yourself because there's no one else there. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Find a water park and turn the water back on and it's all yours. Okay, there it is. Now you know. Now, I do want to say we we found a new feature, listeners. Uh, if you have, we want your thoughts on this matter. On Spotify, and we're on all places podcasts are found, but specifically on Spotify, if you click on this episode, you can vote in a poll on this very question. So if you click on this episode, a poll should pop down at the bottom and you can actually click and give your response with whether you'd rather be killed immediately at the beginning of the apocalypse or have to live through the apocalypse. And we would love your interaction. I mean, listeners, I hope you know, we want to try to create as many ways to interact with you. And so this is just another way to do that. And we'll see if you're as twisted and maligned as Kenny is. But I wouldn't say twisted and maligned as much as like wanting to wanting to see things through to the end. 
Yeah, but you're speaking of it like it's a trip to Costa Rica or Jamaica or something or the Virgin Islands. Like you're speaking of it as some sort of here's a great sight to see in the end. Like let me take some pictures and get some postcards. I'm just trying to find the positive. You know, let's stay focused on the positive. I mean, like you said earlier, you're here. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, here. So okay, <laughs> I, I'm getting the positive, Kenny. Today, here we are. All right. Now, as previously stated, this project, this project is not only about positivity, but it is all about all about reexamining apocalyptic portrayals across the multimedia landscape. Movies, shows, books, and all end of the world related paraphernalia are fair game. The premise for our project is this to re-examine these accounts in a post-COVID world. Because for many, again, pre-pandemic, apocalyptic portrayals kind of felt distant, they felt foreign. But now there's at least a plausibility structure for such accounts. Again, this is not to say that 80-90% of the population died or that COVID doesn't exist anymore, but it's just to say that there's a sense of reality, there's a, a greater dose of reality, and a greater sense of foreboding that really translates from a lot of these pop cultural betrayals. And so for today, we will be continuing this project, but the focus of this pod is a little different. This is a big day. It's a huge day for us, a stepping stone. This is a stepping stone. This a is a milestone. foundation, a milestone. This is a, man, you are so positive today. I can hear it in your, <laughs> you're really trying. The coffee's kicking in. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, the coffee I made for you with the little flowers. Yes, the little flowery coffee. My, yeah. I, I should start a post-apocalyptic coffee shop. That's the, the million dollar idea. We're taking that. No one downtown, else taking it. Downtown San Francisco, vines hanging everywhere. There's uh, there's going to be like, I uh, got to beat up, kind of beat up the ground a little bit, beat up the sides. Actually, there's probably some hipster who's already done this. Like like you could take like old car seats to make your seating. Like, you know. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Like old, like. like when you get your coffee cup, there's shards missing. So yeah. you have a ch- chance to cut yourself. Well, I mean, you could sand down the edges so it looks like there's shards missing. But oh, maybe... I was going to say just have people sign a waiver whenever they get their coffee. But, yeah, you there's know. that too. Yeah, <laughs> you could do that. Or maybe it's like a zombies pop out. You know, it's kind of like a fright fest. Remember back in the day, Wild Waves, Pierce County. <laughs> it was they had fright fest and they'd have these zombies, people who look, they look kind of fake, but then they're real. They'd pop out. Maybe that's what we we'll Besides the point, this is a big day, not because we're going to Wild Waves, but it's a big day because we are taking on our first movie. You've heard that right. We are taking on a movie. We In this episode, we will be covering M. Night Shyamalan's newly released movie, Knock at the Cabin. Now, I know for some, this could be a source of sadness. You've enjoyed the dynamic, evolving relationship of Joel and Ellie in the hit HBO series, The Last of Us. And don't worry. Next week, we will return victoriously to cover episode six in this series. But for this week, we wanted to do something a little different from our regular programming. No, make the spice of life, you know, difference. You know, we're differences. trying to spice things exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah, we're adding variety. We, we, we don't want this relationship to go stale. <laughs> Are we having that talk already? No, no, no. I, we're not with the listeners. Like, Kenny, we do we need to talk about something? Off air, we can have a discussion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's already going stale. Wow. Okay. We're four pods in. Anyways. Now, we will be again. I got to recover from this. You know what? Anyways, with this in mind, here is your friendly neighborhood spoiler warning. Anything in the Knock at the Cabin movie and the collective canon, this is key, collective canon of director M. Night Shyamalan, including all and any surprise twists, are fair game. Because that's what he's about is the twists. If you have, yes, the surprise endings are fair game. So if you have not seen The Sixth Sense, I don't feel bad for you because it came out 25 years ago. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, 
came out. There, I I I have you know nephews and nieces that are that have no idea what that is because they're still thirteen years you know past yes. where it came out from. Yep. So if you see dead people, you know here we are. But they don't anyways, understand the reference. They don't understand the kids these days. Kids, right? These kids days. these days. Now again, anything's fair game. As well as to say. The movie is based on the novel, The Cabin at the End of the World. And so anything related to this IP is fair game. Now, let's focus in here, Kenny. We've got a lot of places so far. We're having a great conversation so far. Now, Kenny, with all this in mind, with Knock at the Cabin, what did you think? I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was well a well-told story. There, I didn't... It being a M Night movie, there wasn't as much of a twist as I was seeing as some mm. like um, some false flags planted to try to make you kind of try to throw you off. But overall, it went the direction I thought it would go. Mm. Um, I thought Batista was incredible. Um, oh my gosh, he is. Here's the thing. So I'm look. I'm, I've, I've been really thinking about this lately, and this is kind of. I'm not trying to derail this at all. Um, derail it. Go for derail it. it. You look at wrestlers turned actors, and you have John Cena, who is. You know, as the peacemaker, he is incredible. Oh, peacemaker is great. You know, yeah. he 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 is amazing. And you have you know have you have Dwayne the Rock Johnson, who's also phenomenal in what he does. Right now, I put Batista above them. After this movie, I put Batista better than them because how he was. Oh, how he, totally. It's yeah. not even. It's not even. There's no conversation that needs to be had. Yeah, he just he <laughs> he embraced his character and he did it so well. Um, I thought it was good. Rupert Grant did a great Southern racist. Or bigot, yes. you know, like yep. I love Rupert Grant, um, but uh, yeah, no, I, th- I thought it was a well, well done movie. I thought it was well played. I um, I enjoyed the fact that they kept it. It's rated R for swearing, some acts of violence, mm-hmm. but most of the violence is off screen. I actually really liked that. Yeah, it's actually more menacing in a weird way mm-hmm. because you don't. Well, one, I'm I'm not a big the blood. I, I'm not a big you know. I, I don't need to see it, but it's a weirdly menacing because it. It uh, it shows, but in a different way. Yeah, you know, I to circle back with Dave Bautista real quick. I think that's a really important point. Is I mean, the juxtaposition of his physical, imposing presence. He's a beast. Paired with a soft, gentle disposition, is a powerful mixture. Yeah. No. He uh, again. Spoiler warning. He plays a uh, uh, well. A is one of the four prophet people that come to the door but who he is as a person he's a second grade teacher who also works um, basketball coach yeah basketball coach and after school programs with kids so he has this very soft teacher like demeanor who wants to like educate and nurture and come alongside and guide you and so he speaks from a place of like there's there's just this like hey how can we be friends how can we work together on this versus you know i'm going to smack you in the back of the head with a folding chair no that's that's totally in a lot of a lot of wrestlers can't make that turn. Because even you think of someone like The Rock or something, he still is trying to impose through his physical presence. And I think like a Dave Bautista, you look at him and you say, okay, yes, there's the physical presence, there's the physical, the way he looks externally. But he's gone to a place where you have to, you don't look past it because it's a part of his persona, but there's more there. And I think that's just the brilliance of the portrayal he plays in this. And the way he... Yeah, he's just a calming presence in a strange topic. Even though he's a menacing presence in the fact that like he has come to this cabin to try to convince this family to sacrifice one of themselves um, willingly to save, 
you know, humanity, he's still um, peaceful and yes. calming as he's doing it. You almost feel like, I see where you're coming from. There's a connection here. Yes. Well, and that's part of their testimony. It kind of, the movie felt like an apocalyptic AA meeting. <laughs> <laughs> like they're sharing testimonies the whole time. They're sharing earnest testimony of this is why we need you to change. This is why we need you to change your mind. They're sharing heartfelt stories. And obviously they end up sacrificing each of the members of the group as well. But uh, of the four. So I, yeah, I, in a lot of ways I thought that was interesting. And you hit on something earlier too. So you said there was not a twist. And I think that's, that's true. I actually, I thought the twist was that the, so for me throughout the movie, right? I, most of the movie, I, I thought that the ending was going to have more amb ambiguity. I thought that's where it was kind of going yet. So for me, when it, the apocalypse was real or confirmed, that was the twist for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I guess. Cause with, you know, with, with M night Shyamalan, you're expecting a, some kind of complete departure from what actual the reality is in that mm -hmm. moment to be the twist, to be the surprise. And all he did was kind of go, Hey, it, it is what it is. <laughs> like, yeah. What we've been hinting at this whole time is what's going to happen. Well, and that's the interesting divergent when I've been reading people's comments about the movie is where it diverges from the book. Because I, now we need to admit, neither of us have read the book. But from what I understand, the book ends with ambiguity, whether it's the apocalypse or not. There's an ambivalence. There's an, an ambiguity in it, which is where I thought the movie was going. Which makes sense. It's hard to end a movie on ambiguity. It's not a bestseller, you know. It, it doesn't attract people if there's an ambiguity in that. But that that's one divergent point that actually changes the messaging somewhat of the book as well, or of the movie as well. I enjoy movies that end with like kind of like a what's happening, like an ambiguity. Mm -hmm. A did I really see that? Is that was really told? Um, but yeah, especially in this day and age, uh, in our Marvel universe, we uh, are not an ambi ambi amb ambiguity based people we like our mm -hmm. answer at the end we like our hidden yeah, scene the hero's at the winning. end yeah. that like tells us even more than we were expecting and then the post post credit scene that gives us another hint that's what we like we don't like that it goes off and you're like so what happened yes like, but so i appreciate a good ending like that but i thought this ending was fit for what the movie was yes well and that's that's my if i have a challenge with the movie where i could, I could go two ways with this it's probably how the ending relates to the rest of the movie. So for me, after watching the movie, I had two main points that I thought stood out. And I think they relate, but I also could see why some would say they don't relate or they cancel one another out. Because for the first 85% of the movie, I thought really the, the whole driving force of the movie was about conspiracy theories, disinformation. I really saw it as a product of the age. A yeah. product living in a digital age. For example, you know, all four of the people breaking into the house met on an online message board. And Redmond, played by Ronald Weasley, Weasley, aka Rupert Grint, had a previous encounter with the couple who were captured or supposedly, I guess it's it, maybe it's not as clear, but it seems like they're inferred that they did have interaction with Andrew and Eric. And when they all find this out, there starts to be some questioning about whether the revelatory visions of the apocalypse came first or if it all started by meeting one another in community as Andrew brings up how they're in echo chambers of their own conspiracies and experiences, that kind of thing. Or have shared shared psychotic disorder, which is a real mm -hmm. disorder. Yep. Um, it, yeah, it's like it makes you start questioning, oh, is this a conspiracy? Um, 
the fact that they're like, hey, the for them to have a video of the tsunami, it would have happened to happen like four or five hours before they even got to the cabin. Yeah. So they know that this is happening. So that's why they keep checking their watches. Yep. No, that's totally it. And or you know, it, this fits with the how they put the evidence together is when Andrew later on petitions how they knowingly worked it into their narrative. Yeah. Right, the mass cultural events, you know, that kind of thing that they, they knew it was coming or maybe they were feeding it in somehow or something along those lines. So you, you start to wonder if the events are caused because of the apocalypse or if it's more like the four tried to string together random bits and pieces of information to form an, a holistic narrative. Because, I mean, if we watch the news, you're going to find doom and gloom on the news all the time, oh, yeah. and especially in the beginning phases. And, and this part made me think of like QAnon or something. Some weirdly outlandish conspiracy where random coincidences and circumstances are tied together to make some larger point about something that's not actually occurring in reality. And from this, where I thought the movie was going was that this is where I thought the apocalypse was not going to be real or there's going to be, we're never actually going to get an answer in the end. And I think that's more reflective of the book itself. And because in that kind of portrayal, then it becomes solely about what is real and what's reality and what's not. And I think it really feeds into that conspiratorial, uh, the times we live with a digital age and information and really what is real and what's not. Because the tension of our age is that, you know, access to information is a balance. We can find information anywhere at any time. You know, my kids love just asking Alexa random facts at home, which is really annoying. But at the same time, availability information has also led to the availability of disinformation. Yeah. And so I thought that's where the movie was going 85% of the time. And then we get to the last 15%, and then something changes, right? We find out these four strange figures are some representative figures of the four horsemen of the apocalypse or some version. Yeah, some some extra biblical version that doesn't line up with what, you know, the revelation has for yep. um, the four horsemen. You know, like mm-hmm. they, like Guidance was one of the ones they referenced and um, Nurturing. And I'm like, well, those aren't what, you know, the, the Bible would call the four horsemen, which is like, you know, death, war, plague, all that. So it's yeah. interesting that like, well, these are the four horsemen, but it's a a take on it. Yeah, they had so, their own spin on yeah. that. And actually it was interesting, and I'll, I'll get back to what I was thinking here in a second, but it was interesting that the nurse, Sabrina, specifically referenced that she was not religious. Yeah. I thought it was a subtle point, and maybe it's a product of the age where uh, there's a, there's nuance in the characters where you start to see that, oh, it's actually not necessarily, maybe the other characters, it could be religious, but it doesn't seem to be the basis for their belief system yeah. with those visionary encounters. So I thought that was interesting nonetheless. But again, so we find out these four horsemen of the apocalypse that it's real and that unless Eric or Andrew make a sacrifice to their family, the end of world will take place, which puts everything I've just said about the conspiratorial side of it and those themes kind of in a precarious place in some ways. It doesn't mean that it can't be true, but the ending puts Knock in the Cabin in a conversation with, I think, the themes of closer to Shyamalan's other works, like Assigns or Unbreakable, because I think the last portion of the movie is really about the framework or the theme of belief. You know, how do we form belief structures, belief systems? Like, throughout the movie, you can see the tension between the couple, Eric and Andrew. And Andrew plays the snappy, ardent unbeliever of sorts, a realist and cynic. Yeah, yeah. And he basically point out everything about conspiracy theories and echo chambers. But then his husband, Eric, begins to gradually shift and change throughout the movie. For example, when Sabrina, the nurse, helps Eric when he's concussed, she says, I didn't believe it at first either. My daddy used to say trust is something more than you. You need to trust in something more than you. Mm -hmm. Or another example is when Eric says towards the end, do you really think it's all a coincidence? I mean, you can tell in his eyes that something's 
clicked. Something's came there's, together. There's been a shift. Yeah, he's a believer now, right? And there's a sense in all of Shyamalan's movies that when someone believes, there's no turning back. Yeah. There, there's a there's a there's a marker in every movie in a lot of ways. And finally, in the very end, when Eric tells Andrew to to sacrifice him, he says, "My mind is set. It's truth." And I thought that last line was really interesting. It's truth. He didn't just say, "Go do it." He said, "There's there's a this is truth now." Now, is it necessarily rational? <laughs> Not necessarily. Not right? necessarily. Yeah. We don't for sure know. I don't want to overstate it. Till the very end, we don't necessarily know if the apocalypse is real. It, it The planes falling from the sky obviously becomes a telltale point that it is. But we don't know for sure. And though there's strong evidence, it still requires a leap of faith. So again, this puts the movie closer to the category of you know signs, where Mel Gibson's character is a priest considering hanging up the collar, and for most of the movie, he's doubting the alien invasion is real. Yeah. But then he makes the pivot and the turn. So Eric and Andrew go on a, a pilgrimage of faith, of belief, and this is where I think the conceptual framework of the the two themes I'm hitting on actually relate, because the questioning of reality and the line between belief and conspiracy directly intersect with our cultural moment. It is really hard to tell what is real. It is really hard to tell what is true. It is really hard to tell what is reality. It's a theme that I'm seeing come up and I'm seeing it all over the place down movies and shows is people questioning what is real. And so in one sense, I thought maybe the ending and I read some reviews where people thought the ending kind of canceled out the conspiracy fear because it was true. It's yeah, like saying, yeah. hey, the Q and honors were right. <laughs> they put it together. So that's one article I read. One title was... One review, knock at the cabin reviewed. Be nice to the Q and honors or they'll do an apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. But I actually didn't think that was a fair criticism because I actually think Shyamalan's doing something more sophisticated where he's actually giving us, he's not giving us the ending we necessarily want, but he's giving us the one that's indicative of where we live right now. Yeah. And that's where I think the consequences of this idea of truth and the last thing I'll say about this before I kind of go on about this is I loved Leonard's line towards the end when he's talking about the kids he coaches. He says, the best part about teaching kids is that they believe everything you say. You have to be careful about what you say. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if in a digital age, true with children, but I just mean in a digital age, period, if there's anything more pertinent of just being careful what you're receiving, what you're processing. So I is, is that making sense well, how I'm processing a, this? makes 100% sense. Okay. I mean, I think that they have to come to the realization that like for Andrew and Eric, uh, you know, Eric, especially when he realizes that this is true, this isn't a conspiracy. Andrew, the whole time, even up to the point where I think, you know, the sacrifice of uh, Eric is made, I think he still thinks this is a conspiracy. Yes. You know, I think even at the point where he's opening up the backpacks in the truck mm-hmm. you know, at the very end, the lightning has stopped. The clouds are, are the sky starting to clear, you know, the, the flooding went away. The people aren't dying in the hospital anymore. I think he's still thinking like there has to be a conspiracy behind this because this can't be real. Yes. So finding that reality where like you were saying in a in a conspiracy heavy world that we live in is really interesting how M Night did that with this movie. Yes. And that's where I think that the the ending is not what I personally expected, but I thought it was fitting because it muddied the waters. Mm-hmm. And if he would have given, though, I guess you could say at the same regard that an ambiguous ending would have done the same thing. And so maybe that's 
the tension of the times we live in with the superherofication of every movie that we see where there needed to be. Now, I do think actually one of he always has a supernatural element. Yeah. So an ambiguous ending probably wouldn't have fit within his style because there needed to be some supernatural dynamic or element in the end, and that ended up being the apocalyptic scenario of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I that's what stood out to me. I, Kenny, what stood out to you from the movie? I thought, I mean, I, I loved the... Uh... I love the relationship that Leonard had at the very beginning, sitting down, talking to to Win, mm-hmm. with this like, "Hey, I want to be your friend." It, it came across as a little creepy, but also came across as how like, you know, like for um, for her teachers and how like for me as a, as an adult, there's a bunch of nephews and nieces, and I go around, I sit and I talk with them, and I talk on their level, and I approach them, yes. and I treat them as a person. So Leonard was doing that. It's like this is what you know. He's I'm, got the acumen. Yeah, you could tell someone who knows how to talk to kids. And yeah, he definitely and, knows how to. And I really appreciated that. It, didn't, it came across as like a little bit like, because you go into this movie knowing that this is not necessarily a bad guy because they're not bad people. Yes. That's the other thing. It's like the four people that came to the cabin aren't bad people. They're not the bad guys. They are, they are four people set on a journey that they don't want to be on, but they have to. And that, we need to hit on that because, I, okay, this sounds bad. This might be a demeaning way to say it. Literally in my notes, I wrote nuanced weirdos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, sorry if that's to me to get anyway. But I, what I mean though is that a lot of times in these post-apocalyptic scenarios, like the prophetic figures are always like they're the guy near the river who no one talks to, complete stranger, no basis in reality, no family, no life living in the van or something. But here you actually see something that I think is closer to reality, that these are normal people. Yeah. These people have lives, they have jobs, they have to pay the bills, they've got a reason to get out of bed in the morning, they've got relationships. And I thought that was actually such a poignant point throughout the movie because it it was more indicative of what we experienced. I mean, I think during COVID, if we learned anything, was that people with strange beliefs that came out, which again, COVID was a pressure cooker. So I'm not saying, you know, a lot of things happened there. But during COVID I think if we saw one thing was that it was people closest to us, people who were saw us and knew us that actually those were some of the strangest beliefs that came out and they were normal people. They were people who we had Thanksgiving with and Christmas with. And you're like, Oh, you believe that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have, you had friends and family where you sit down and go, can you believe this? They go, right. And then you go, why are you saying right? <laughs> Are you saying it for the reason I'm saying it? And then all of a sudden, like you both look each other across the table and go, "Oh, this is going to be a fun Thanksgiving." (laughs) No, totally. And I I think that was actually a product of a product of our moment. That was actually really, really nuanced and really helpful. Like Leonard says, "We're normal people just like you." I I love the scene where they're they just they're sweeping up the glass in the kitchen. They tied everyone up. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we need to clean up. Let me sweep up. We don't want this to be a pigsty. You know, they're, uh, yeah, or even when the, sh- the kid show is playing and Leonard comments on how the kid show, it teaches tolerance and empathy. He's like, I love shows like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, or like, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, cook, the chef lady. Yes. Makes breakfast and she goes, Hey, I make this. This is what I love to do. I loved They're, they're treating Win so they, they're caring for her. They're yes. like, they're like, they're like you know, put her in the other room. We don't want to have to ever see this, like cover her ears. They are like making sure that she as a child, obviously this is going to be a torment. She's going to have some therapist is going to make lots of money off of her. Um, <laughs> yes. But they are giving her 
the ability to not have to be as much of a part of it as her parents are. Yes. And so they're trying to care for people, caring for Eric's wound. You know, if they were bad people, if they were, you know, just coming in to be like, you have to do this, they probably wouldn't have done that. You know, yes. even even a uh, um, Rupert Grint's character, um, when he gets up and goes and fix the curtain. He's like, I'll go take care of the curtain and gets up. He's begrudging about it, but he's like, oh, this is affecting his concussion. I'll go take care of it. Yeah. So the way they're caring for the people is like, they're, yeah, they're not bad guys. Well, and I think that just said nuance is really yeah, the important. Nuance, yeah. Because even people who have strange beliefs, most of the time, I mean, no question, there are people who have strange beliefs and are just strange people. But then the people who live in our neighborhood, I mean, it's not an us versus them. And even all of us have strange beliefs at times where we could probably put some of those categories, maybe not sacrificing people for the end of the world, but in the, in that sense as well, the nuance there was really interesting. And what, what else stood out to you? Oh, I mean, th- just the, and we touched on this in our uh, last, last of us podcast, which is how far would you go for family? Yes. You know, would you sacrifice someone you love or yourself to save all of humanity? Yes. How far are you willing to go? Especially if you don't have all the evidence for it. Yes. You know, now, now Eric and Andrew had the evidence at the end when all of a sudden, you know, Leonard kills himself. Uh, spoiler alert. Oh, well, we already said spoiler alert. Yeah, you, uh, this, yeah. is, this is a spoiler zone. I mean, we're, we're way into <laughs> we're, this. We're 20, yeah. If someone's still listening, you're going to know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when he, you know, he, you know, the, all of humanity has been judged and then the clouds come in, the lightning starts striking everywhere. You see planes falling out of the sky. All of a sudden, like, it's real to them now. But up to that point, like, when is that point where you're like, oh, we have to make a sacrifice? Like, how how are you willing to do that? And so it's just a question of if you have the opportunity. Because Leonard said, the three of you will live. He goes, the rest of humanity will die. The three of you will live. Mm-hmm. So then it's, you know, it's like, okay, well, if the three of us live, do I care enough about the rest of humanity? To like, this is my immediate family. You know, it's like, yeah. if my immediate family survives, do I care about the rest of humanity enough? to sacrifice one of us to save everybody when no one's going to know what I did mm-hmm. versus uh, the three of us could just walk the earth the rest of our life by ourselves. Well, and I think it comes back to win. Yeah. Because that vision where they, towards the end where they show a flash forward yeah. of what the future could look like with a grown up win and with Andrew. And I think it based the decision then not just in, we're going to save the whole world, but actually comes back to, it was based in their family was, do we want once the plausibility or they came close to the edge of believing that maybe this is apocalypse, it still was about family, right? It was still about the future of when, and actually this is a change in the book from the movie in the book in the book, when dies halfway through when does not die in the end in the book. So this is one thing I found online was the, which is an interesting thing. Cause you think about it now and you go, well, how would they have, carried the plot through without win all the way through but she yeah. uh, she tries to i think she tries to escape is what i read and then she gets killed in the process but it doesn't count as a sacrifice Ooh. because it wasn't an intentional sacrifice it was just a, a casualty of her trying to run away or something well that makes it even harder then too because it's who wants to walk the earth by you know who wants to just to go on living by themselves after the you know their child died and now they have to kill their loved one Oh, totally. I just got the, I just got the book. So I actually want to, I'm going to, I'm going to be reading it soon on vacation, but no, totally. And I think I read, I've got a quote I really loved from an article I was reading. I apologize to the author of the article because I don't know your name. I didn't write it down, but he said this, he said, Eric and Andrew are forced to choose. Will they sacrifice one of themselves? Not for humanity. Humanity is too big a concept to grasp, too large to bear, but for when? So Mm. she can grow up, have a life, have a future. 
so that she can experience what will come, the continuation of humanity or, or our little corner of it. It's really all that matters. And I thought that really hits back to when we're talking about The Last of Us too, was what drives people to make decisions when we talked in the last episode about a Kathleen, about it. Henry was, it wasn't all of humanity. It was the small corner that you had. Now, did it have ramifications on everyone else? Absolutely. But it was coming back to, and I think that's actually where Shyamalan keeping Gwen and not killing her off halfway is really important. Because I was trying to think through the movie, Gwen is a very a staple point at the end for the decision they make. Yeah. And I thought that actually was very powerful and it was palpable and it was something that any parent can relate to is you want the best for your kids. I mean, one of the worst things you can imagine is passing away before your kids. Like you want them to live way longer than you and all of those things and you want them to have a future. And so I thought that actually really, that twist and that change, that's actually probably a twist in some ways too, but from the book, but was an important change that based it in something that's familiar to most of us. And I think the acknowledgement of when knowing what's happening um, and not just being a, you know, a child that doesn't see anything, a child that's just like, what's happening? Oh, I'm going to be, you know, I, I'm screaming, I'm upset. But a child that's understanding the circumstance, because when she goes and hides and then Andrew pops up and she goes, did, did daddy, Eric, did daddy Eric save the world? Mm-hmm. You know, that like she knows that there was, she heard about the decision that had to be made. She heard about the choices. She probably heard the thunder and lightning stop mm-hmm. it's raining and so she knows that there must have been she probably also heard the gunshot well she had headphones on but mm-hmm. she knows that a decision was made because only one of them came up the ladder yes. so even even saving her it's never going to be a normal life for her they are doing this for win mm-hmm. you know not all of humanity it's too big of a construct like you were saying but they're doing it for her but acknowledging that it's still going to be a rough life for her because now she she's in the belief that her dad saved the world, but who's she gonna tell? And now Maybe she, that's the sequel. Yeah, that's the sequel. Wins <laughs> wins the pr- uh, prophetess on the street corner. My daddy <laughs> saved the world. You all need to thank me. <laughs> that's a that's a good point though about she's not just a prop. Sometimes a screaming child is a prop, and I felt like she did more in the movie than just be a prop. And she actually had some really important parts of just adding nuance, adding layers to the relationship, and adding a reason why this was an emotional part that was more than just a prop. She's an actual character functioning within the movie interactions. I have a question for you. Do you think, is there anything after you watch the movie that you would have changed? Like after watching it, whether it's the ending, whether it's the use of the characters, I did not prep you for this question. So I'm just kind of curious if there's anything that stands out to you that you would have, you thought you would have changed in the process. I don't, I don't think, like, maybe if I rewatch it again, I'll be able to find something. Oh, I, that's, watching it in its entirety just straight through, um, I enjoyed it. I think if you would, if you would change anything, no, I don't think I would change anything right off the bat. Because I, okay. I, mean, I was thinking about the deaths of the prophet people, you know, like, oh, is that necessary? But it is, it's, mm-hmm. their death signifies a sacrifice that they have to be willing to make yep. to understand their beliefs. And that's yes. the hard part is like, oh, is this a conspiracy? Oh, this guy just is, they're killing each other in front of us. Mm-hmm. Is this a conspiracy? They're willing to go to, you know, to die for it. Um, so I think that's actually important. I think that was needed to prove how far they're willing to go with what they believe. No, so. that, that makes sense. I, I was wrestling with, and maybe this question comes from my own wrestling, and I don't know if the movie makes sense this way, 
But part of me was wondering if, because the people who were learning to believe were Andrew and Eric mainly, and they have their own spectrum of that. Mm -hmm. But I really thought with the Dave Patisa character with Leonard, I actually thought it would have been interesting to have, because you see the four, the, 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 the four who break in, there are times where they show glimmers of doubt that they, they believe it, but they're human still. Yeah. And there's those questions, even when Andrew and Eric are petitioning questions that they start to not give in, but there's a wrestling there. And obviously Dave Bautista is the most ardent of just pushing for that and all the above. I almost wonder if it would have been interesting if there was more Leonard had more dy dynamism in that of wrestling. I actually thought him as like a, in a Mel Gibson or Bruce Willis role would have been kind of interesting just as the main character who's learning to believe in the process. Now, the movie wouldn't have made sense if he didn't have any belief in the beginning. So I understand that because there has to be someone who knocks at the cabin, all that kind of thing. But I just thought it would have been maybe an interesting wrestling with how people come to strange beliefs in some ways. And that may have been even more of a product of culture. I decided he was so dynamic that he did so much in the movie already. I just thought it would be interesting to have a little do a little more. But Yeah, no, I mean, like him have expressing doubt. But I think him being the – like you see him struggling. Yes. You know, you don't, he's not just like, a, this is 100% what we believe. You see him, it's a, we have to believe this, which I think is, is saying we have to believe this way instead of a, uh, this is of course what we believe. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, I am choosing to believe this because I am in this position. If I don't believe this, then everything I've done up to this point is wrong. So I have to believe this, mm -hmm. um, which is, I think was was good having him be in that because when you're in that we have to believe this it's it you can present a better um, a, a better uh, convincing figure to the other people you're talking to yeah, like you feel more human yeah. is that what you're saying yeah that too yeah because even the best leaders they have doubt they wrestle but there's a conviction through the midst of that where you go hey we got to keep moving forward mm -hmm. right we have to take the next step yeah now can we been talking a lot about the movie specifically but we don't want to just talk with the movie specifically because every movie is influenced by the creator is influenced by, I mean, there's a whole team of people, but more specifically, we're speaking of the director. You can really compare the Canon and the IMDBs of various directors and to, to understand how this specific work makes sense in light of the rest of their works and whether it's themes, whether it's uh, content and the, the way the, the structure the plot devices they normally use, the tropes they normally use, the type of characters they put in their movies. So, Kenny, I want to zoom out a bit. And not just on the movie, but on the collective canon of M. Night Shyamalan. Because he's prolific. I mean, he's I think he's in his early 50s. He's probably had about 15 movies. Somewhere around there, yeah. I mean, to think about it, I mean, if he goes into his 70s and 80s, we could have 20, 30 more years of M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> Which is kind of crazy to think about. But I'm interested in how you would rank Shyamalan's past works and I'm even interested in where if knock in the cabin meets some of those lists. now you can say broader comments about Shyamalan but I also love to hear how you think of his past works too I'd have to think about where I put knock at the cabin in the uh, the ranking I have because um, I haven't yet so take knock at the cabin out okay and going on his past works um, I could probably give you a top four and a bottom three um, top. He has four. a lot of movies. So yeah, lot give of me movies. okay. Give me the top. Um, give me the top four. But with each one, I want to hear. Tell us about the movie. If the listener doesn't know about the movie, give just a brief synopsis, kind of like what it, how it fits in his work and stuff. Um, so the uh, the top movie I think I have is uh, is Split um, with mm. James McAvoy, mm. which 
he is incredible. In this that is movie. number one. This is number one. We're not above six cents signs yes. like the class. Okay, all right. I like split because of James uh, McAvoy's character. Okay. Um, James McAvoy plays a uh, character who is a multi personality disorder. Whether whether or not it's like actually accurate to what peop- what the disorder is, how he portrays it is re- really good. Um, he ends up kidnapping or. A, one of his personalities ends up kidnapping three girls or four girls, three or four girls to sacrifice to the beast that lives inside of him. It's mm. like this locked away, deep menacing creature. And so the movie is, you know, pe- you know, p- the police and the, uh, the psychiatrist trying to figure out how they can figure out where these girls are. And, um, Kevin, the main person that's inside, that's the actual person inside of, um, James Maxwell's character is like being pushed back and pushed back by like the three people that are trying to bring the beast to the forefront, to the light is what essentially uh-huh. what it is. It's like, um, and the ending is the beast comes free oh, wow. and it sets up for the sequel, which I have not seen yet. Um, it's, it's on my list of things to watch. Life the is long busy. list of things to watch. Yep. Life is busy, but um, the twist in the end is it's in the Unbreakable Universe, mm. which is pretty cool because they, they go switch to the end and there's Bruce Willis's character sitting in a coffee shop watching the news report about this person. Oh, you're like, oh, okay. so it ties in, which Unbreakable is my second one. I okay. love Unbreakable. I just think it's a very fun, it's an anti-hero uh, type of role. It's a, a reluctant anti-hero who's a stepping into a position that he a doesn't know he has, and then b doesn't want to have, yes. but is you know has to do it. Um, and I thought it was really good. Uh, Samuel Jackson in that one is incredible alongside Bruce Willis. Um, Unbreakable is a guy who survives a cra- uh, train crash, and everyone's like, "Wow, you!" There's not even a mark on you, and then he slowly realizes that he can't be hurt. Yep. His weakness is water; like he chokes very easily. Um, it's like the aliens in science. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Which maybe there's something with water that. Oh, it is. I heard um, Shyamalan talking about it. Is because he went to Catholic school, and then it's some other side of uh, his background contextually and stuff. Is just the religious symbolism of water, and so that's why he always sees like whether it's baptism, whether all the kind of images of religious stuff with water, he ties water into a lot of his movies. That makes sense. Yeah. So Unbreakable is your number two. Yeah, Unbreakable is number two. Okay. And I really enjoy it. And, and I think it's fun. Um, and M. Night Shyamalan in that movie is, uh, I, think one of the, I think one of the other uh, things that Bruce Willis's character has is he can see like what people he's, are going he's to like do. He's like a sense, right? Yeah, he's, he's like, like a sense. sense. Of I don't like, want to say sixth sense, yeah. because, but he's got, a, yeah. he's got a sense for being able to see. Like what they're going to do. Yes. If they're going to commit a crime or something, like mm-hmm. he could stop them. You know, like a, a, a future sense almost. Which so that's another reason I like it. I think it's fun. It's just a good movie. Um, my third one is Signs. I really liked Signs. I saw it in theaters when it first came out, and my sister ran out screaming. Um, so I, that's that's always a good memory. Uh, she was sitting with her almost boyfriend then, who's now their husband. You know, but uh, um, but yeah, they were. You know, she stood in the back the rest of the movie, and my buddy, my buddy and I were like, ha ha. Anyway, Signs is great because I love the uh, development of Mel Gibson's character. Oh man, yeah. Um, this person who, especially in this day and age of um, what, uh, you know, in, in the, the Christian faith, people call deconstruction um, yep. of trying to figure out what is your faith? What are we dealing with? What is what is my belief system? You have a guy who was a, a preacher, um, a reverend who then his wife dies in a horrific car accident and has since turned away from his faith. And then at the end, I still remember this moment um, and it, it struck me and it stuck with me about about faith. 
he he doesn't lose his faith in that the fact there's a God. He loses his faith that the God is good, mm. uh, which I found interesting because he sits at the end when um, his son um, gets sprayed by the alien um, with the chemicals and his son has asthma. He's always breathing in his inhaler. Mm. So he runs outside and he's like saying his lungs are closed. His lungs are closed because he's like, I can't have my son die. And so he's holding on. He's praying. But all of a sudden his praying switches from like, please help my son to like, I, I hate you, mm. which he's saying to God because it's like his wife died. His son might die in his arms. He had to kill the dog, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like all of these things. And like now there's aliens. So, but then at the end you see him putting his, um, what do they call it? The collar. There's like a. Oh yeah, he's putting on his priestly. Yeah, he's his putting on collar, his priestly yeah. collar again. Like all of this has shifted his, his his faith back to a stronger faith. Whether it's like more, whether it's along the lines of like I believe stronger in the goodness of a god mm. or God, or a I believe strongly in my faith now. I'm willing to be able to present my faith of who I am. I think I it's am. a resilience in that where it's not. Well, it's a faith that's not, it's a weathered faith. It's a mm-hmm. resilient faith that, because in one sense, there can be an early unvarnished faith that people have that is full of energy, excitement, but it's a whole nother thing to go through grief and loss and get punched in the face a few times and then to get back up and say, hey, my faith's different now. It doesn't look the same. And, yeah. I, and I think that's where, when you're hitting on Bruce Willis's character in Unbreakable, when we're hitting on Mel Gibson and Signs. And then I even think with the Eric and Andrew, which it's a little different because it's a couple. There's not one central character. There's more of a back and forth there. It comes back to the theme of belief and how do people form belief? What happens when belief is... Because even Bruce Willis in Unbreakable, he's always being tested of sorts. There's times where he starts to doubt, am I actually a superhero or do I have these powers? Do I have these abilities? There's this back and forth. And just like in Mel Gibson characters, there's this there's this back and forth with should I believe with for him would be the existence of aliens per se, but then it goes back to even the belief in God and what do I believe about God and all the above, and so I think that that's where the you, the movies you're hitting on they really relate to what we're talking about in in Knock at the Cabin as well. Is there these these themes that are running through these movies? and the development of these characters and the realization there, there's always a moment though, where there's a realization of faith. There's a realization of this is true, whether it's mm-hmm. the belief in themselves about what they believe about me a superhero, all the above, or it's a realization of external realities outside of them, the apocalypse, aliens, uh, all the above. Well, it's like tying to Eric and Andrew. Yeah. Eric is, uh, comes from a faith background mm. because even like they, they adopt a, their child from a Catholic um, oh, I didn't, I didn't pick that up. Yeah, and then at one point, he, uh, Andrew, um, when they were sitting there, Andrew looks over and goes, you can pray, I won't judge you. Mm. So Eric comes from a faith background. So for him, and th- I think that's why Andrew was so adamant with like, you know, you don't talk to him, talk to me. Like, I don't believe, you know, he may not have a full grasp of what he believes anymore, like, but I know what I believe, and I don't believe any of that stuff. Um, and so for him, when he's like, I thought I saw a man in the light or a figure in the light, it's like, well, that's your concussion. When for Eric, this is like, this is just s- coming a full circle of what I've believed in my life. I may have moved away from a belief system because it doesn't reflect into what we are as a, as a couple and our daughter and society nowadays. But now I've come and go, oh, I have faith that what is happening is happening. Yes. Well, and I think in a lot of ways, Andrew, 
represents in some ways the modern person, right? The rationalistic, not that people, anyone on, no matter what you believe aren't rational, but you know what I'm saying? Like the, Hey, just show me the science, show me the pure data. Yeah. But I think we all, in some ways, no matter who you are, everyone takes a leap of faith and believes in something. That to believe in whether it's a deity or a god or to put your belief in another person or to trust in someone else requires faith, no matter who you are. And I think what we're hitting on, and Shyamalan really is brilliant in, is he shows us, even in the modern world, that there is nuance, that the way we come to our beliefs and form these beliefs about things it's not completely rational, even for the most rational person, if that makes sense. There is a process of ups and downs. There's a process of doubt and faith. And I think he enters us into more, maybe a more nuanced picture of what it means to be human and how we actually come to believe the things that we believe. Well, I mean, like you're saying, like, you know, faith isn't rational. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to have the belief that faith is rational is a fallacy because you're believing in something that you can't prove. Yes. That's what faith is. You know, like, I mean, you have faith that, like, gravity is real like different things but in, in on a spiritual side of things or on an emotional side of things any type of faith along those lines isn't rational because you're believing in something you can't tangibly prove yes. you can't have so yeah like, like what you're saying about how we develop our belief structures and our belief systems well what i'm saying is i think everything requires faith at some level this is not to say that there isn't purely data scientific data that there's provable elements of our lives but the things that make us human you know, the things that really uh, make what really matter, when we, when we talk about not just surviving but thriving, require faith. Yeah. To, to trust in another person is to put faith in another person, that this person's not going to hurt me, that this person's going to show up when I need them, that this person is someone I can depend on and care about. So in one sense, we could speak of like God and deities, but we could also speak of just faith in other people, faith in humanity. And if something mm-hmm. during COVID got hit, it was probably our faith in humanity oh, in yeah, some yeah. ways. And, and our trust that, uh, in the doubt, I think everyone in some ways is probably a bit more weathered these days in their relational dynamics. Can I really trust people? Can I really put my faith in another person? And I, there is that point where I think Mel Gibson's character is really brilliant. And we don't really know. He doesn't give us a theological treatise at the end of what he actually believes now about God or about his, his, his church experiences or ministry or something. But it is interesting to see he picks up the collar again. Mm-hmm. And there's a place where you have to believe again. There's a place where you have to, to be human is to believe. I mean, it's like in The Last of Us when we're talking about the place of imagination. To be human, to actually be able to not just survive but to thrive in the world requires the faith that things could get better. Yeah. Requires the faith to say, my life can change, that good things can come. I'm not speaking of op- just empty optimism here, but I'm talking of a, a resilient, that I mentioned earlier, but a, a tragic optimism is the Holocaust survivor and psychotherapist uh, Victor Frankl speaks of. But it's just, it's this picture of though it's weathered, we still have to hold on to something and we can't survive. We can't thrive without that. No, 100% agree. Now, okay, you've given us four movies so I've far. I've given you three. Oh, give us three. What are the last two? The last, the last. so I, I had top four, but I had to choose between whether it's The Sixth Sense or The Village. And now the... You were going to leave The Sixth Sense off of your... No, that's just why. The like, Sixth Sense was going to go on, but I like The Village a lot as well. I but had... you would put The Village above The Sixth Sense? Maybe not above, but equal to. And the, the thing is about The Sixth Sense is it has no rewatchability. I love it, but once you know the twist, mm-hmm. you can't really rewatch it and be surprised by anything. 
with with signs with unbreakable like a lot of these movies have a lot of rewatchability where you can be like oh that's fun i know what's going to happen but there's a lot of fun in this sixth sense like the whole premise is once this moment happens and the reason it's so it, it is like a standard is because it was the first movie to kind of do that yeah and so that's why it's it's on the list it's it's got to be there bruce willis is spectacular i just in can't it. believe it's not even in your top three i'm a little bit so okay but that makes sense your list rewatchability is a high ranking yeah I guess for me, maybe I'm, I'm more of a feeler here. This is why I wouldn't survive in the end of the world. I kind of just go with my gut reaction from the first time I saw it. And the sixth sense, I'll give you during, throughout the movie, the, there were parts that kind of got like lull. There's a bit of a lull. Like towards the end, I was like, oh, where's this going? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of uh, not dull, but okay, there's some resolution. But then when you figure out in the last two minutes that he's actually dead, it's just I don't remember very few moments in watching a movie. The visceral reaction when you, I I'm a pay, like I just stand up and start pacing. I was like I can't believe what just happened. You're right though to watch it again. It's not the same. So I guess if you're ranking rewatchability, makes sense to me. If you're saying though even the cultural impact, like the line I see dead people. Oh, it's it's throughout. Every, it's how many TV shows have said it? How many yeah. commercials, movies, podcasts? Like it's just always there. So yeah, so it's on my list in top four. I just yeah, but it's not on the podium. I mean, it it, it didn't even get a trophy. It, it, well, are we a trophy generation? We're a participation trophy, so it gets a participation trophy. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay what what? Sorry. Talk about the village a little bit. Talk I like the village, the village and here's the thing: a lot of people hate on the village um, because of the ending, mm-hmm. because it's such a such a shift. Mm-hmm. They hate the fact that uh, so the village is essentially it feels like it's like kind of like think Amish um, 1700s 1600s there's these group of like settler type of people they have a village um, it's surrounded by guard posts like tall posts where they watch the woods around them you don't wear certain colors you don't go in the woods at night there's creatures in the woods that want to kill you the creatures will walk through the um, to the town at night and uh, you know to keep people in you don't go into the woods you know you stay away um, Hawking Phoenix is is in it, and he does a great job. Um, I like him a lot in it. Um, what's the, Jeff Daniels? I think is is that who it is? I think well, the village is an important one too because it, it's the idea. A lot of his movies have the theme of intruders. Yeah, and that's where tied a knock at the cabin is right. Yeah, and so for me, I'm like I like the fact, but you know, find out at the end that what it is is like the original people were a group of rich people that wanted to live on their own mm-hmm. and not have society dictate to them anything, and so they it's pretty much they bought a national park and they have it surrounded by a giant fence way off in the distance, and so that's why people don't leave, and so that's why people hate on it because they're like, oh, the creatures aren't real, they're people in disguise, oh, like like they're so. So that's why people hate me. I, I thought it was a, a good idea. I thought it was really fun and an ingenious idea. No, and that movie's interesting because it's really important for Shyamalan because he, that was actually, I believe, I think The Village was one of the first movies he self-financed because he made a pivot after doing, you know, things like After Earth and other things that were these big blockbuster type yeah. movies. No, and no, I know. And he, he realized that he needed to get back. He's a huge basketball fan. So he talked about how he needed to get back to streetball. Like, he just needed to go back to the streets. And I don't know if this was the village, I think it was, where he needed to go back to the streets and just tear everything down and kind of restart. And so he that's when he moved to, and all of his movies now have been self-financed. And he wanted he did it on like $5 million or something, really small budget, and just wanted to be able to create something and see if he could find his muse again in a lot of ways. And so that's, no, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And the soundtrack is great for it. Like, I, it's, 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 the village is a good reading soundtrack. If you want to have like, 
music here and you know, just playing the background, rereading a book. Uh, so those are my top four slash five. Okay, give us now. Give us other than the heresy of the sixth sense. Give us the the bottom. What's the bottom <laughs> tier here? So the bottom three. Um, number three. Like the last one. No, no. So to go three, two, one. Oh, one it, being okay. the worst. Yes, crazy. Number three here. is Lady in the Water. Okay. Um, because the first time I watched it, it was like, um, it's you know it's it's so dumb. It's ingenious. Uh, no, it's just <laughs> dumb. That's 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 it's so dumb. It's a genius. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's one form of genius. Yeah. But like, so I watched it the first time and maybe it was cause I was like so dehydrated from being like on like an amusement park all day and okay. like high on sugar because we like got to the theater and it had ices and all the candy we could eat, you know, cause we're like, Hey, we're adults now. We can just do whatever we want. So, you know, so we're watching this movie and it's like, wow, this is really incredible. And all of a sudden you're like, no, it's, it's really not like going back and rewatching it. It's, it's one of those movies where you're, you're, everything is kind of feels forced into being, and the storyline is, it doesn't make sense in the long run. Mm. Um, it is kind of post-apocalyptic in the sense that, like, if this mermaid creature isn't, you know, found, uh, the world will end or save the world will end. But it's it's just Paul Giamatti is in it. He's he's not bad in it, but the whole, it just doesn't make sense. Okay, you know, it's hard to watch. Keep going now. What's two? Um, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Okay. Because he butchered it. So I, I'm an Avatar: The Last Airbender, car, Airbender cartoon fan. I think it's a great series, and it continues to be great with the additions they're doing. Um, but that movie, a, and you know, not to sound PC or anything, but he whitewashed it with the characters. <laughs> like there's just worst characters you could have, you know, and and stiff acting, and changing elements. It was just one of those movies you're like. You you have destroyed something I loved. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, uh, yeah. So that that's number two, and the number one is the happening with Mark Wahlberg. Mm. It was the first R-rated M Night Shyamalan movie, and they were like, because everyone's like, oh, he can't do an R-rated one. All of his are PG thirteen, so he did an R-rated one. The trees are out to kill you. Now this is an apocalyptic one, sort of, right? Kind of in the sense like all of a sudden like people start killing each other left and right. Why okay. are they killing each other? Yeah. You find out it's because, oh, every so often the earth goes into this like self-preservation cycle where the plants send out, you know, a a pollen that causes people who are not good people to. This is the Mark Wahlberg one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it is just awful. It's one of those that you watch and the storyline doesn't add up. The acting is so stiff. And like, like. The, the confused Mike Wal- Mark Wahlberg like meme that goes around from that that is what you sit there through the movie like going <laughs> like like it just there's no, it's not like the parts that are trying to be funny are just they just die they're not funny at all the action is you're running away from nothing there's the wind run away you know like so so, it's, you, so you wouldn't put After Earth in your bottom three I haven't seen After Earth oh okay I refuse to see After Earth oh okay so that it might be. It would be in the bottom three if I saw it. I can't stand. Um, maybe saying I can't stand is too rough of a thing to say. Will Smith's son, um, what's his name? Oh, Jaden. Jaden. I don't. I can't stand him as an actor. Yeah. He's. He's hard to watch, and so knowing that it would be an entire movie of watching him, I'm like, I don't have that in me. 
Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Will Smith. Yeah, sure. But, post slap? Maybe we rewatch it post slap. Yeah, we'll watch it post slap, <laughs> see what happens. But yeah, so those are those are my bottom three, my top four or five. So Oh, and I to to caveat something I messed up. I mixed up the visit in the village. Oh, the visit. The visit yeah. was the one that he did with a five million dollar budget because it was after this whole string of, I mean if you just look at IMDB, Lady in the Water, the happening, last airbender, devil, after earth. So a lot of the ones movies were speaking of were just bang bang yeah. bang bang. Then the visit was where he kind of tries to reinvent himself. And then you get split, you get knock at the cap and you get some of these more recent. Yeah. And so I think I'm, you know, I'm hopeful in some ways that he's in a revitalization phase. I mean, it's the challenge obviously is when you produce something early on that has such cultural significance, has such cultural roots that it is hard to, and any creator, you, you feel like you have a mode that you have to recreate yeah, and then he has to try to find another way to reinvent himself in a lot of ways. You have to you have to go back to your roots and find out why you're doing it. Yeah, you know, I have to figure out what what is how how do I like making this? Yes, you know, you see it like in different chef movies and different kind of movies like that where they go back to the kitchen to go, okay, I'm gonna learn how to make a grilled cheese sandwich again. And so that's like what he's doing now. He's like, I'm going back to find out what I like to do for a movie. And well, so, and, I, and I thought to bring it back to Knock at the Cabin, I really thought Knock at the Cabin brought a lot of the themes of the past into they tie to his his collective canon in an effective manner but then it also he takes his normal themes and twists and all the above and really bases it within the last few years yeah and that is what i thought was so powerful was it i I felt like in some ways it was kind of like signs but for you know 21st century i guess signs is in 20 well maybe it was 1999 but it's almost like signs but it's the updated post-covid version of that in some ways where it it has themes of belief it has themes of questioning it has themes of doubt yet at the same time it's tying in the conspiratorial QAnon thing that's going through our stream disinformation all the above and that's where i thought it was really brilliant and so kenny is there anything else you want to say about m night Shyamalan or knock at the cabin anything else you want to add no, I think I'm good. I think we've covered a lot of ground here. I think we both like the movie. I, I would recommend seeing it. Um, whether you want to spend the $15 to see it in theaters or wait till it comes to HBO Max or Netflix or something, um, I recommend seeing it. I think it's a fun movie. No, I think it's totally worth And I, I've debated even a rewatch of it. How? Because M. Night Shyamalan's movies, like you already hit on, are interesting to re The rewatchability is an interesting factor, especially the movies that have more of a hard twist at the end. So I've wondered if I rewatched it, if I would catch different things i'm really excited to rewatch it actually to see if i notice different things when seeing okay the apocalypse is real or maybe it's not as rewatchable who knows now as we close friends we just want to thank you for being with us for joining us and journeying with us through knock the cabin again like we said next week we will be returning back to the last of us and we'll be covering that and in the future even as we end the last of us we have future surprises for you with movies and other genres to be able to explore within the apocalyptic themes. Now, as we close, please, please, as we've asked before, please subscribe and share this podcast. We're a startup. We're trying to get this thing off the ground. We're not just trying to survive. We're trying to thrive, as I've said a million times in the last two podcasts. And so please subscribe and share. Uh, please join, vote at the poll when you click on this episode. You can Every episode, I'm probably going to propose some sort of question and that will be in the poll at the bottom of the episode. We want your feedback as listeners. Uh, if you want to follow us, you can follow me at, at Trev William Horn on socials. As I've been saying, I've been working on, on Medium.com and working on a series of articles, one article a week, on the Oscar big picture favorites. And it is coming close. The night is near. I don't even know what the phrase is. I just butchered some sort of phrase. The day is near. 
the day. I don't know. Judgment Day is coming. Judgment here. Day is yeah. Judgment the, Day is coming. The Judgment Day for the end is near. The end is near, and so we are uh, nearing close in the Oscars. And so please check those out if you're interested, just to kind of give a run up. You can check the the easiest way is go to my Instagram and go to the bio on my Instagram. You can find my articles or just go look up Trevor William Horn on Medium. And I, I think that's all we have to say. I think we're good. And so with that, a a judgment has been passed on humanity, and we are in the end.